Now Paul, as I said, turns to the community life as he closes up. And when he closes up, it's almost like all of the pressure and all of the concerns that he has for a congregation comes to their full bore often time. Just as a father with his children, seeing them about to go off or he himself about to leave, he's concerned to give them what really is on his heart for them. And that's what we see here. Now, there, there's more things that he closes off with, but I want to look at these verses 12 through 15. And, and it's really the responsibilities, two things, the responsibilities we have toward those who lead us and the responsibilities we have for one another. It's, it's very simple, just two simple headings. Uh, faithful appeals, we'll call them. In fact, you'll see that in verse 12, we, we crest of you, we urge you you we appeal to you and the same thing comes in verse 14 two appeals and the, and those appeals are directed to the same congregation but they're directed toward different ends first of all the way in which we are to regard those who are overseers and then the way that we are to regard one another i'm going to deal with that very first one here our responsibility toward leaders i once preached at my own church with regard to the responsibilities that the church owes to leaders. And when you do that, you feel very self-conscious. I'm going to tell you what you owe me, and you go, oh, no. So I just, I gave myself a new name, and I said, well, Rick is gone today, and so I'm in his place, and I'm going to speak about what uh, he doesn't want to speak to you about, uh, and go ahead. Well, now I have the privilege. It's not about me. It's not what you owe to me. Uh, it, it's what we owe to those whom God puts and sees fit to providentially place over us in leadership. And these are good things to learn. It's not because, in fact, you'll see, it's not because of the men. It's because of the work that they do. So this is going to be very simple. There's, as we look at this responsibility, there's really three questions we're answering. There is a whom. To whom do we owe this responsibility? There is a question, what is that responsibility and then why to whom do we owe this responsibility what is that responsibility and why and so to whom does the responsibility belong now notice and this is it's described it's described very very simply for us in verse 12 but we requested brethren that you appreciate and then it tells us who they are those who diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction. The one thing I want you to notice is they're not described by title or office. They are described by their own responsibilities. Doug, and Jason, and me, or any of those who would aspire to, this is, these are our responsibilities. This is what, as we lay our hands on you, and as the congregation prays, these are the things you ought to pray for your leaders for, because this is what they are responsible for. They're described in terms of their work. And so I, I, I just want to just make of just a few observations about the nature and character of that work. First of all, notice it says those who diligently labor. And the word their labor is, is a word that speaks of toil. It speaks of labor to exhaustion. It speaks of stress and struggle. It's, it's, not, it's not leaders who kind of coast. It's leaders who are pouring themselves out in, a, in an endless labor, a constant labor. They're, they're hard workers. 
That's what he's really speaking about. And he's referring here obviously to the ministerial laborers. Faithful leaders are not loiterers. They are hard workers. I just finished preaching out of 1 Corinthians. And, and, and it's interesting as he closes out there. Listen, he, he's giving a closing remark concerning several men. Stephanus uh, and, and some others. And he says this about Stephanus' household. He says they were the first fruits of Achaia. The first converts among those. And it says, he says this about Stephanus. They have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints you likewise be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the labor and works. He uses the same word, work and labor, work and labor. And it says they devoted themselves, it says, to the ministry, the diakonia, the table serving. In other words, leaders are those who themselves have established something else in, in, the, in the life of the church. They're servants in the church. They're laborers in the church. Oftentimes, people will come and just tell you they're a leader. They come into the church and they come up and you know what? I am a gift to you. You know, and, and I'm just kind of thinking, what? I, I'm a leader. Uh, but I very seldom see, in fact, one young man has come up to me in the last month, half a year. And it's been a blessing. He's the first one who says, I would like someday to lead the church, but what can I do for the church? And so what he's doing is just taking out garbage. He's just taking out the garbage before our fellowship dinners, cleaning up afterwards. And I says, that man will one day be a leader. He's willing to serve. He's not looking for a place where everybody's going to recognize him. He's looking to come under and help. And that is why Paul looks at Stephanus, at least in 1 Corinthians, because Stephanus follows the, follows the pattern of Paul himself, who would serve, who would give his life, who would spend and be spent. And he says, this is the kind of leaders that the church needs. People themselves already given, not for everybody to look to them or serve them, but given like the Savior himself to serve. Hard-working servants spending themselves. Leadership isn't a Sunday-only responsibility. It requires an all-day, every-day, all-the-time kind of labor. When you're in ministry, that's what is required. You need to be a hard worker. Now, notice the next thing that he says about them. Uh, it says that they, they are those who have the charge over you. They have a responsibility. They preside over for the purpose of protection and care. In other words, it would be hard workers, but as, a, as they carry out their oversight, and, and it has that same thing, it has this idea, they're in charge to care. That's their responsibility. They care for the flock of God, and... Their oversight isn't that they just simply have an office and they aren't just simply looking over everybody and everybody's looking to them. Their oversight is for the purpose of your care and, and to minister to you and to care for you. And, and, and notice here, it is to preside over, not lord over. Paul says we're workers for your joy. And that's the purpose. And we, we care for your joy. We're shepherds and we care for the flock of God. We have to watch for those who might come in with error. And we have to watch for those who might arise up from the, from the inside. There is a responsibility of care. 
and, and that is this caring oversight, and it's carried out in the Lord, consistent with His character, consistent with His grace. Notice the third characteristic here, at least that's given among leaders, Doug and Jason. It's kind of fun to talk to the leaders, guys. But I, I, I mean, I, I'm appreciative because I know the nature of Jason's work and his service and willingness. And I appreciate yours this morning in the Sunday school class and the time you spent studying and the humility with which you brought a very difficult lesson. Uh, and that is a good thing when, when you do that. But what here, notice it says here, it says and instruction. The word is admonition. We might almost say, wait a second, uh, admonition. Why don't you just tell me things that maybe I can take as an option? It says, no, this is, this is to admonish. This is, this is, in a one sense, to point the finger. It's to point the finger and say, this is what we need to do. It is a corrective, constructive ministry. It isn't just going to simply just kind of tickle ears. It's basically going to seek to touch and speak and screw the truth into your hearts and minds to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's not giving advice. It's giving admonition. It's giving correction. And these are, the word is very strong. It's, it's, it's word designed to change behavior. Not merely to inform or instruct, but it is to point the way to go. And it's to, it's to challenge and encourage you to do that. You should expect that that one who is over you will direct you, will correct you, will from time to time give reproof. You want to hear, you want him to speak. We, we can be very passive in our own studies, can't we? we can, we're kind of soft on ourselves sometimes when we're in my, my own devotions. And then when the word of God comes, you know, through the leader or through the one who has a care for my soul, then it comes with strength and power. And I feel the force of truth oftentimes that I don't feel uh, if I'm just studying myself, it is, it is necessary for a church to grow, to have those constructive, corrective, reproving teachers who love you, who care for you, who are workers for your joy and already spending themselves in all kinds of labor for your benefit. And this is what it means. Personal application and correction. They tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And... I didn't think I needed that. But then I find out, yes, I did. And so it's good as they give you the whole counsel of God. And, and indeed, a, a God-pleasing rather than a man-pleasing ministry. And, and, and so uh, there are none who carry this out perfectly. This is carried out by frail men. And all we are is like everybody else. We are a piece of work. All the time. And in fact, when we realize that we're a piece of work, then that gives us the patience with everybody else. I mean, a, a good leader is harder on himself than ever he would be on the flock of God. And when you know what you are, then it's going to be very easy to be patient with everybody else. Because we know what, what we are and we need the grace of God. There's none who carry this out perfectly. I just want to let you know, but notice this, and I'm just saying this to the men, to, uh, to Doug and Jason. Notice, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor. And just those two words, 
among you. They labor among you. And notice that have the charge over you. And it says, and give to you. What, what, what this implies is that leaders aren't going to be just up here pontificating. They aren't going to be up here, there I am and there you are. And the twain shall never meet. The idea is that leadership involves contact, involvement, ministry among you. Leaders need to be among and in the midst of their people. Doug and Jason. That, that it's, if you don't like people, then you better not be in ministry. And in fact, probably get to know people. Maybe the less you like. I always... I, uh, this is, I mean, where you call it, it says, listen, love one another. And I say, it's always easy to love people you don't know. Isn't it? It's the people we get to know. It's when we get to know one another. And that is the mark of a mature church. That is where the Lord wants to bring this church and my church and all of our churches that as we get to know one another, even in terms of our, our frailties, our weaknesses, and our sins, we are not standing away from one another, but that we are still forgiving, forbearing, and showing grace to one another. That is the mark of a mature church. I love everybody in the church. It's just the people that I sit next to in the pew. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And, but the leaders are themselves to set the example for that. True Christian leadership is not show and it's not substance. It's sacrificial service for the sake, for the sake of the saints after the pattern of Christ. Now, what's the responsibility? What is your responsibility to those hard-working, caring correctors? Notice what he says. Uh, that The very first word, notice verse 12. That you appreciate them. That's the NAS. I think the word literally, again, the word that uh, uh, Doug mentioned this morning is the word no. Yeah, I know him. You know, he's five foot something, you know, 100 and something pounds. He's got kind of a funny accent. He's got funny habits. I know him. No, this is, again, that knowledge of intimacy, and, and, and which my, my version translates as appreciate, uh, respect, I think, is the, the ESV uses. That there is to be this, this recognition of them, uh, respect for them, appreciating them capacity in which they serve and the responsibilities carry. Recognize them as leaders who toil for them, protect and care for them, and direct them. And, and implied in that is, is what Paul said to Stephanus. And that when you recognize those servants, then you submit to them. You yield to them. And that's, that's all involved in this idea of knowing and appreciating them. And then it goes on. Notice what else it says, uh, which, I, which I, again, is a, as I said, this is where you get kind of self-conscious. It says that you esteem them very highly in love. Verse 13. You are to think the world of them. That Paul uses a word that is, is a triple intensive. He uses one little word. It's hupo et para. It's like a much more greater. It's one word and he, and he almost constructs a word that puts, this is the kind of way that you are to think of them, much more greater esteem in love. You are to have a great affection for them. 
this is a, uh, you know, an, an amazing word. There is to be a return. There is to be the, a proper return for the ministry that they give. There is to be esteem and love for them, affection. And you ought to be very careful of getting disaffected toward the leadership. We are going to make lots of mistakes. We're going we're gonna to flub up in all kinds of ways. And we're going to step over toes we haven't even seen that we know about. And it's going to come back. You know, you remember that time when you did that? No, I'm sorry. I don't remember that time. I didn't see your toe there. But the fact is, it's going to happen. Uh, but it happens with us all the time. Give them some grace. That's what it's saying. And give them much best grace, the chief grace, the queen grace of Christianity, which is love and affection. That, uh, that, that many waters will not quench. Esteem them. And, and you say, well, that sounds so self-centered. Listen, all I'm doing is giving you what the Word of God says. And, and this is what God himself expects of his own. That it isn't to be just simply a cold, bare esteem, a saluting of the office. This is to be your hearts. Your hearts are to be with those who lead you. In a warm, real, constant bonding and knitting of your own heart. And don't let complacency and familiarity allow your affections to be dulled toward him. That's what you owe. He owe they owe their lives. They owe every single day. They've got to sweat and struggle. They've got to study. They've got to think more of your souls than their own reputation as they do that. And you yourselves then ought to give them that respect. Give them that submission. Give them that love. And then he says, why he says do this because of their work and what is their work their work is for the benefit and increase and growth of your own soul in the Lord Jesus Christ and so what you think of them reveals what you think of the work that God has called them to do Aren't you glad someone's speaking into your soul? Aren't you glad someone is spending his soul, his life, his effort for the purpose of that which will be to the profit of your soul? Aren't, aren't you glad that there is someone that God has appointed and to whom is accountable that he himself will be invested in understanding what is your condition, what is your state, and will seek to speak into it and seek to encourage and seek to model and be examples of that? Isn't that a glorious thing? And so if I love them, I will pray for them and that God, will you grant them to understand? Will you grant them to be able to study profit Will you, will you give them joy in the gospel? Will you give them conformity to Christ? Not simply in character, but in the way that they live. And, and, and pray for them and esteem and say, this is a blessing. And that is what's taking place. When the word of God is opened up and when they come to bring the word of God, however it's brought, then there ought to be this esteem because this is the great work that they are doing. And it is a glorious, noble, blessed, God-appointed, God-anointed, God-blessed work that brings glory to God and brings His glory to you and Christ in you. So I, I think it's... Calvin observed about this work. He says, not even the light and heat of sun, 
Not even is meat and drink so necessary for the support and cherishing of our present life as the pastoral office for the preservation of the church on earth. This is more important than the coffee and donuts that we like. It's more important than the brisket we will eat and the shrimp chowder and whatever else may be supplied. In other words, we can enjoy all of those things, but this is, this is a ministry that feeds our souls unto eternal life. And so esteem it, even as it comes from weak and frail vessels, because they carry a treasure, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So all the glory isn't of them. It's of God himself who works through the ministers for the glory and grace of his church. And this is a sweet church. I mean, I, I see all these kind, friendly faces. And the work in your lives that this congregation would be such a congregation here in Marshall that would bring glory to the living God. And these are the men whom God has seen fit to appoint. And that, so there is something that is to be said for all of this glorious work. And I pray that you will love the work. And so I'm going to leave it at that. If you ever want to read a good work, you can read John Owen's. It's called Valley of Eskol. Eskol was the valley in which when the spies went out in, in numbers to view the land for Moses, they, they came back bringing a whole big old crop of grape, a grapevine. You know, they had to carry it on a pole so rich and fat was the fruit of the land. And so Owen has a, has a series of messages. It's on the duties that we owe to one another and the duties that we owe to elders. And if you really want to read something very interesting and very insightful, very convicting, then just read that Valley of Eskol. It's a very excellent work. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. I'm going to move on there because I want to deal, I, I, I deal with verse 14. The responsibility now, not so much that you owe to the leaders, but that you owe to one another. Now, uh, you, you will notice at the end of verse 13, live in peace with one another. It's interesting that it's attached at the end of the exhortation with regard to leaders. And I, because the, the, the next exhortation appeal comes right after that. And it seems like this calling for you to live in peace for, as a congregation is for the benefit and welfare of that leadership. It is a wonderful thing to lead a community that is marked by peace and not faction and division. And that is a blessing. And that is, in one sense, that is one way in which you carry out a responsibility those who are over you. You're not going to divide men. You're not going to divide up over uh, anything uh, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be united in heart and affection. And that is a way in which indeed you encourage the ministry. But now notice verse 14. And, and here's, this is the responsibilities that we owe to, to one another. This is the rank and file responsibilities. It's not addressed to the leaders. Though the leaders themselves are responsible for this. But it's addressed to you people. Okay, it's addressed to us in the congregation. And, and, and I, well, let me just, uh, I'm going to say it. There's, there's three, three points I'm going to make under this. First of all, you owe to one another a pastoral care. You owe to one another to be pastors and ministers and carers and shepherds to one another. We urge you, brethren, now notice this. That this is, this is our brother-keeping ministry. 
We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Now, that's, that's, uh, this is, uh, uh, notice, notice the differences. That notice the difference of the command, admonish. And then you have encourage. And then you have help. And then notice also you have, you have, that, you have that instruction that is different to different people. You've got the unruly, the atoktos, the those who will not come in line. Those who are kind of out of the line sometimes. And then you have the faint-hearted, really the small-souled ones, the ones that themselves are timid, the ones that themselves are fearful or anxious or worried or distracted by a lot of other things. And then you have the weak, which might be a, a whole variety of weaknesses, whether it's physical, uh, that is chronic, or whether it's weak in faith, or, or, or whatever it may be. You you have these different varieties and a different approach to them. There's no cookie cutter approach that we're to have to one another. In fact, what it, what it expects, and this is the unique challenge for us as a congregation, is that we know each other. We know what each other is struggling with in a certain sense. And we know what one another needs. Rather than just saying, hey, how are you doing? Uh... Fine. Okay, good. Okay, go on to the next person. Sometimes we have to pick up cues. And so here is this, here is this calling for us to, 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 to deal with one another in one another's respective conditions. There needs to be a sensitivity and discernment with regard to these things. And a willingness, dear saints, let Jason and Doug handle it. Paul says, no, you handle it. Well, go, go deal with the pastor. Why don't you be pastors? In one sense, that's what he's calling us to. We're, we're not the ones simply to be receiving ministry. We're the ones who are to be giving counsel and help to one another. And this is very practical. This, is, this really calls us to, to step out. This is, and, and, and this isn't exhaustive. I think, he's just giving us, I think he's just giving us three examples of it. These who are undisciplined and all of that, those who are acting out of order, they have to be admonished. The, the irresponsible must be challenged to change. You don't let them and leave them where they are. And you take, you exercise the, the sacrifice of time, the sacrifice of name, of your own name and reputation, and you summon up and seek for God biblical courage to go and tender-heartedness to speak and to seek to restore them. This is a calling to us. And, and they must be warned and counseled. And that is a hard thing. We're not confronters. Most of, most of the time, I'm just a peacemaker. That, that means I just don't get in anybody's face. I, because, you know, we love to be peacemakers when we shouldn't be. It's not to break peace. It, it, it is to establish grace and to encourage grace in someone else's life. We're not coming with one upsmanship. That's not the point. We're coming as believers under bearing one another's burdens. And if there are those certain burdens even of sin and sinful conduct, then we ourselves as the best peacemakers ought to go and counsel and admonish. Notice the same thing with those those small sold ones, okay? They don't need to they don't need the swift boot. They need the the sweet balm. 
The weak ones need to come. We need to come in a certain way. We need to know what they're dealing with and how they're dealing with it. And we need to discern how we're going to deal with that. It, so, so these are things, this, the weak ones, again, oftentimes we take advantage of weakness. We don't like weakness. We don't like, we like to see people strong and healthy and we kind of just move away or sometimes even exploit those. And he says, no, you're to be helpers of one another. You're not just to simply just pass them by on the wayside. You're to be focused. And so that means that we need to pay attention to one another. It means we ought to really, really be interested in one another as a congregation of God's people. Interested enough to know. I mean, we can pray and say, okay, there's a face right there. If we see someone in the church, do you know enough about them? You can pray for them. Do you know enough? Are you involved in their life enough? You say, yeah, the pastors, you get involved and know the people. Saints, we have to. We have to know one another and love one another. We just. We just can't live. We're just not little separate sitting in the pew where the body of Christ, where each part does its part as, as through the sinews of an active grace exercised in our lives with one another. That's the whole idea here. Now, notice that, that, that I just call that the, the pastoral care that we're to have, but we're to have a patient commitment. See, notice what he says right after that. He, he gives us that pastoral care. He says, be patient with all men. Because when you get to know all men, you really need patience, don't we? That is what a grace of the Spirit. That is what we need. We need people don't always respond how and when and the way we think they should when they should. We need to be patient. We need to be, God is working in us, and we almost might say, it seems so microscopic. I would love to be sanctified and perfected in an instant, but he doesn't do it that way, and neither do we. And so we need to be patient with one another. We need to forbear long. We need to be, be willing, as it were, to, to, to persevere with one another without giving up so easily and so soon. We need to give people room and time to, to grow. We all times have been difficult. People have to be patient with us. And, and so we need to do, learn that same thing, a commitment to minister to one another in such a way that we're willing, no matter how long it takes, no matter how much of it requires, to spend the time we need with one another. You, you know, you're, you should be a lot farther along. And then I'm thinking, how many sermons have I preached? How many lessons have I given? And it seems like my sanctification is only a, maybe a sixteenth of an inch deep. It says, where's my own sanctification? And God has been so gracious with me. And God has been kind to us, all of us. And he shows his mercy. So we ought to be as a congregation the most patient people on earth with one another. I mean, that, that is a glorious thing. That, that is a characteristic of love. Love is kind and patient. And that's what God exercises to us, toward us in Christ. We're long-suffering. Then finally, notice, notice, I just call this a pressing concern. Verse 15 says, listen, exercise that pastoral care. Have that patient commitment. But here's, here's my concern. See that no one, 
No one repays evil for evil, for that is evil, isn't it? Evil for evil, we would call that revenge, but that's evil, okay? But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Avoid, avoid getting back. Avoid holding grudges. Avoid having resentment in your heart that will metastasize into a bitterness from which you yourself will not even be able to know the genesis of how, what it came from. Because sin just does that. It distorts the whole frame. If I, if, I let, if I let sin settle in my soul and I don't deal with it, then it is just going to turn and it's going to begin to corrupt every thought, every affection in my mind and heart. And I will not be able to. And no good, effective biblical counselor is able to go down into the Genesis and pull up that awful root that is there. We've got to be careful about those things. They don't settle in our souls. And that we're dealing... No, none of this, none of these payback idea. And this is even more, this is, this is more than resisting revenge. Notice, this is, this is to do good. This is the better return. Men are always to get a better return from us than ever were given. In the, in the Protestant Reformation, there was, a, there was a minister, his name was Thomas Cranmer. And, uh, and he had compromised his faith under Henry VIII's rule, but, but then he gathered back and God granted him much more grace uh, to live in a, in a way that was uh, faithful to the Lord Christ. And, and he developed such a reputation that it says if you wanted to get good from Cramner, do him ill. I, I mean, you, you smack him and you got a blessing. That was the whole idea. There wasn't anything you could get out of him, but the very same graces that you would get out of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was pinned to Calvary's cross and said what? Father, forgive them. In other words, the saint is to be one. Listen, beat him, but you're going to get a blessing from him. And this is the whole idea. Notice he uses a word here. He says, he says, um, Always seek after that or strive. This is to be a pursuit. This is to be an aim. This is what we're to be about. He, he's, this, there, this is an active, an active concern to set our souls upon doing men good. And notice, notice there, my, my Bible says, but seek. But what does it say just before seek if it's in your Bibles? Always. Do you understand how radical just these common things are in the way that we live? Always be going after one another's good. Well, I'm always after my good, aren't we? We're always after our good. Are we always after the good of one another? This is our responsibility to one another. This is, this is the kind of congregations that we are to be. And, and may God give us the grace for that. That we give a better exchange for what comes into our lives. And so, having said all that, I'm done. But I want you to under... I, I mean, there's simple things. My desire... As I speak to you, is 
sometimes, now I didn't, I didn't even yell very much today, so which was a good thing. I said, why do you yell? Because I said, I'm trying to get it into my mind. I'm trying to get it into me. And, and, and the thing that you realize, is, as you would, any of you that counsel, any of you that minister, every time you're dealing with somebody else, you're thinking, oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me, how I lack. I'm conscious of my own lack. Leaders are conscious of their own lack in terms of their love, in terms of their leadership, in terms of those things. And so we, we realize that what we need in all of this is nothing less than the grace of Christ in our lives, and we need to pray for one another. My desire is that God would bless this congregation richly, and that you yourselves would be full of that rich grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he gladly gives to his children who seek him. And that God would bless Jason and Doug in the ministry as leaders and bless you through that leadership and that you yourselves would be a blessing to them as you live in peace, especially a blessing to one another. As you just the grace of God through Christ, in your love and patience and kindness to one another. May God have mercy on you and bless you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Father, we thank you that it cuts through the, uh, maybe our complacency. Lord, it challenges uh, our own self-righteousness in many ways. Oh, Father, but it, one of the blessings is it brings us back to the foot of the cross. Lord, where we have utterly failed. That, Father, we live for ourselves rather than for you and your glory. And, Lord, for those whom you have bought with your precious blood. Oh, Father, will you grant us grace? Will you forgive us for our own self-centeredness? Lord, for our own self-will. Uh, Father, for our own self-focus. Lord God, I pray that you will bless this church here in Marshall. I pray and ask your blessing, even as we anticipate uh, recognizing uh, and ordaining and setting apart Doug for the eldership and the responsibility of oversight with Jason. Thank you, God, for these men. And God, thank you for the families and the people that are under this ministry. Thank you for your grace. God, will you bless both for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.